What is going on? You are listening to Tags Podcast, aka Talk About Gay Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Steve V. This is episode 353. And on this episode, I'm joined by my very special guest, Dr. Joshua Gonzalez, a urologist based in Los Angeles. And we broke everything down about our men's health. He is known as the Dick Doc. So we were talking all about our precious dick. That's right, everything from keeping it healthy, hard, things like erectile dysfunction, cosmetic procedures, even conversations about our prostate health, all good stuff. I think you're really gonna get a lot out of it. I sure did. Stay tuned for that. Just a reminder, we are live every Wednesday night with Tags Live. Cody Maurice Doggett and myself are live this Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the Get Vocal platform. Easiest way to get there is simply go to tagspodcast.com and click on the link Tags Live or follow us at Tags Podcast on Instagram. Every week, I do an Insta story with the link directly to Tags Live. So when all else fails, go to at Tags Podcast on Instagram. The boys will be back for a new episode of Tags Podcast and all new hot gay sex topics next week. So stay tuned. And with that, let's bring in my interview with Dr. Joshua Gonzalez. Well, I'm really excited today to bring on Dr. Joshua Gonzalez, urologist, aka the Dick Doc. Joshua, Dr. Gonzalez, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, I have so many questions, and I know our audience does, um, so we can just get started. But I, sure. I think the first thing I wanted to ask you was: Were there so many specialties in the medical field, and how did you? specialize or decide to specialize in urology um just because i love dick so much it just seems like <laughs> good answer good answer yeah, yeah. Um, seriously is that the answer no 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 no, no. I, um, <laughs> that would just, be a good answer that's just like an added perk um no just kidding um no i i um was fortunate enough to go to a medical school um that had kind of prioritized exposing medical students to kind of all of the aspects of medicine, including the medical and surgical subspecialties. And so um, I was a med student at Columbia and they had traditionally um, put out a lot of people who went into surgery um, and surgical subspecialties. So not all medical schools, at least at the time, you know, had all their students rotate through all of the subspecialties. And so urology is is a surgical subspecialty. And I just really liked it because it was like a nice combination between sort of procedural um, based uh, healthcare and also like, um, you know, some office stuff. Uh, It allowed for like good continuity of care. Um, So you got to you got to kind of work with and treat patients and see them get better um, and have a positive uh, impact on their quality of life. And then so when, when I decided to kind of go into the urology um, field, I matched in residency um, at Mount Sinai in New York and spent the, you know, the next five years doing residency training and kind of trying to figure out uh, whether or not there was a subspecialty within urology that I really was drawn to. And I really enjoyed the, the field of um, men's health. And out of that grew my interest in you know, sexual health in general. Um, and so after residency, I then pursued a fellowship specifically in, in sexual medicine. 
I love it. I love that you were with Mount Sinai. I've been seeing them. I broke my ankle sidebar. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's on the men, though. I'm walking now, so it's great. It's, and I'm with uh, Mount Sinai, and they're great. They're a great um, hospital. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, what's fun about following you on social media is you put together these great TikTok videos. And for so many people, myself, previously, not so much now, but we're so afraid, men in particular, to see our doctors. And, you know, you hear the word urologist and our prostate health, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But you somehow, what, what's it like being a doctor today with the, and the way you use social media? Um, that's a good question. So, you know, when I finished my training, when I finished fellowship, it was 2015. Um, and certainly social media had been around. But at that point, I think Instagram had only been, you know, around for five years, people were still mostly using it for, you know, um, self promotion, or kind of showing off their lives and that kind of stuff, you were starting to get like the advent of influencers and that sort of, sort of thing. But there really wasn't a ton of people in the healthcare space, kind of using that platform as a means of educating the public, um, at least that I was aware of at the time. Right. And so, um, you know, when I started practice, I had, I had to think sort of outside of the box in terms of ways that I could draw patients to my practice um, and get them to want to see me because I was one of, you know, in LA where I practice um, hundreds of urologists and how was I going to get them in my door as opposed to having them see someone more, um, experienced or, or someone who had been in practice longer than me. Um, and so I really spent a lot of time kind of cultivating my presence online by building out a website and, and getting on social media. And for, for the first couple of years, it really was kind of me just posting, not really know what it, knowing what I was doing. And then um, a couple of years ago, I, I made it a concerted effort to set aside time um, to work with uh, a social media uh, manager and kind of really try to use their um, expertise to, to, to figure out a way that I could use my platforms to educate patients on somewhat private topics and topics that people feel uh, uncomfortable discussing, um, but do so in a, in a disarming way and do so in a fun way that um, would allow them to get helpful information, but not feel shame about it. So um, that's kind of what I've been doing for the last two years. It's just is is using that as a as a guideline to kind of create content. Yeah, well, they're a lot of fun, and those that want to follow him, you get to see you dancing, which is always yeah. a lot of fun. And you do. I think that's a big part of it is you make the the unknown or this kind of the scary for so many of us men or people in general going to the doctor and all that stuff. You make it educational in small bites, and and that's that much more palatable, which you know, kudos to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's been a very interesting journey. Um, I, you know, again, kind of started doing this de dedicating a lot of time and energy to doing this, like, um, kind of in the pandemic, um, when in 2020 and was doing it again, mostly to kind of, you know, uh, do some self sex health education and also like try to see if, if patients would respond and and contact the office and schedule an appointment. And it really has turned into something like much different. It's really turned into more of like um, me being a voice or an expert that people turn to. Um, and, I was going to say that and, expert. And, yeah. yeah. And they'll send me questions or ask me comments um, on the posts or DM me 
um, you know, thanking me for the information, asking me to post about different topics. Um, and it really hasn't actually translated into that many new patients coming through my door, but it's been rewarding in a completely different way than I never really expected. I never expected to like garner, you know, tens of thousands of followers or in, on TikTok, like a couple hundred thousand followers. Um, that never was my goal or did I ever anticipate that happening? I did not start this out to be like an influencer at all. Um, and it's sort of turned into people relying on me to kind of give them information that they're, they're finding difficult to get elsewhere. I think it's awesome and using social media for good. And so many of us look online to self-diagnose ourselves half the time. So this is just a better way. I'd rather have somebody, an expert, an actual expert that knows what they're talking about. Um, let's talk about prostate health, which, um, first of all, when does somebody see a urologist about their prostate health? Um, so in general, there's kind of two ways to think about prostate health, right? So there's benign issues related to the prostate. Um, and those are usually involving um, urinary symptoms um, and sometimes sexual health issues um, uh, related to the prostate. Uh, <clears throat> but generally, there's not like a guideline as to when someone should go to the doctor to have their prostate checked out for those sort of benign issues. It's sort of like as those things come up, you know, if they're starting to bother you, you should go see somebody where, um, but then there's another aspect of prostate health related to cancer prevention or cancer screening. Um, and there are guidelines for that. So most men um, should, should have a prostate exam uh, and a blood test that screens for prostate cancer around age 55. And those, and some men who have either a family history or fall into, you know, a traditionally high risk group, like the, um, or African-American, um, should probably get screening done a little bit earlier, but that's a conversation they're supposed to have with their doctor in terms of the their, their um, individual risk. So, so I'm, yeah, go ahead. in my early, I'm in my early fifties, and my doctor had did a PSA test. What are PSA mm -hmm. tests, and what do they show in the test? So the PSA test is the blood test I was referring to that oh, helps great. us helps us screen for prostate cancer. Um, and so it's just a simple, you know, blood test that gets sent to the lab and it measures a protein that's made in the prostate. Um, and there are cutoffs that we look at to determine what the likelihood that someone has cancer if their P PSA is above a certain number. Um, the problem with the PSA test is it's not, ex it's not a perfect test. Um, so you have to also take into account the clinical picture of the individual patient that you're treating. So PSAs can also be elevated in benign conditions like urinary tract infections or prostatitis or um, when someone has uh, just a, a benign enlargement of their prostate. So it doesn't always mean that they have cancer if their PSA is abnormal. And that's where, you know, we have to kind of match the finding on the lab test to, to what's going on with the person. And then are there certain things that can, now the other side of, of our prostate health, um, are there any things, because it can seem so scary, like, you know, colonoscopy, I had to get that when I turned 50. And then now, mm -hmm. you know, in our early 50s, we're going to be getting this like PSA test and so forth. Mm -hmm. Are there certain things that can maybe help prevent or keep a healthy prostate in your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's there's not like any you know, large clinical trials in terms of like things that you can do to 
quote unquote, keep your prostate healthy. There have been some studies that have looked at, you know, certain diets that can be really, that can be helpful um, in general for, for um, I, I would say men's sexual health, the Mediterranean diet um, is a good, uh, a good diet to, to look at and to, um, uh, you know, if, if, if that's something that you can maintain, it's a good diet for, for your overall sexual health, including your prostate health. Um, there have been a couple of studies that have shown that men who ejaculate more, um, and you know, a, a, the majority of the ejaculate comes from the prostate. So men who ejaculate more may be at lower risk for developing prostate cancer. So that's kind of a fun, you know, yeah. homework assignment to give someone if they're looking at um, maximizing their prostate health um, is to say, well, you know, if you're ejaculating more, um, there are some data showing that there may be a, a decreased risk of, of prostate cancer. Um, so I would say, you know, like the Mediterranean diet and, and coming as often as you can, probably two good ideas. That's great advice. I'm all for that one, um, especially on our show. We always are talking about that. So perfect. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Uh, you do a lot of work with um, erectile dysfunction and prevention of it. Uh, I was mm -hmm. watching a lot of your videos on it. And erectile dys dysfunction, can ED, can happen to men at different ages, correct? And sometimes related to our prostate. Is that correct to say? Um, there's not a, so I guess to answer your first question, yes, it can happen to men of, at any age. So I have guys in my practice in their twenties and I have guys in my practice in their eighties, um, and everything in between. So it's not a disease, um, or a condition that affects only men of a certain age. And I think that's a big misconception. Um, because a lot of guys who struggle with this, especially younger guys think like, oh, I'm too young for this to happen to me. Or sometimes they've even talked to doctors about it and get dismissed because of their age. Um, and the reality is, is that it can happen to, to someone at, at, at any age for a variety of reasons, but it can happen at any age. And it, it certainly does increase <clears throat> um, as men get older. So older men, you know, tend to have more erectile dysfunction than younger men, but it doesn't mean that young men can't also suffer from this. Um, and then the second question um I guess the answer to the second question is that there's not a direct correlation between prostate health and erectile dysfunction. There are certain, but, but they are, they are intimately related, right? The prostate, as I mentioned, holds a lot of um, the ejaculate fluid that um, is expelled during orgasm. Um, and so ejaculatory dysfunction and erectile dysfunction are often um, seen together. So, so they are related. I wouldn't say that, that prostate health is a direct, directly correlated with erections, but, but they're, they're related. The reason I ask on that second part, um, it sounds like a little bit of an anatomy lesson for some of us, for me, certainly, mm -hmm. because we've had a listener recently write in who had prostate cancer and they had to remove his prostate and mm. he's slowly with hope, hoping that with time he'll build back the ability to have an erection. And uh -huh. on a, another, a friend of mine's uh, fiance is dealing with um, the, kind of looking at his, his road because he, they found prostate cancer and it's elevated. Uh -huh. And so he's deciding whether he wants to do radiation or if he wants to have it removed. And, you know, no, no one is the greatest answer, but yeah. he's of course concerned about ever being able to get erect again if they remove sure. that prostate. Yeah. 
Yeah. So let me, let me, I guess, speak to that specific example or the, the, the specific first example. So um, in that case, when men have surgery to remove their prostate for cancer, it's not the actual removal of the prostate that causes problems with erections. It's that the nerves that innervate the penis and specifically the blood vessels that go to the penis and tell them to dilate or constrict depending on whether they're or not they're in a state of arousal um, are sometimes disturbed. Um, even in the hands of the best urological oncologist, right? Even if they're able to do a bilateral nerve sparing surgery, um, mm -hmm. the, the natural anatomy of those nerves, which run over the prostate, um, gets disrupted and that can interfere with normal erectile function following surgery. So it's not the actual prostate removal. It's the, what happens to those nerves. Um, and so, you know, the good thing is, is that if they are able to do a nerve sparing surgery, even if a man has a decline in their erectile function following surgery, they can see, um, improvements in their dysfunction for up to two years following surgery. And especially if they're working with someone like myself, who is a sexual health specialist, there are things that can be done to sort of hasten that recovery. Um, so it's not, you know, a, a lost cause if you if you're going to have prostate cancer surgery that that you're never going to have a, an erection again, there's things that, that one can do even preoperatively to kind of um, improve postoperative outcomes. Oh, great. Well, that's yeah. good. Mm -hmm. Um, and then what's some things to, because there's so many ways, like you said, you have patients in their twenties, in their eighties that are dealing with ED. Um, oftentimes, uh, it's, it, is it just sometimes in our mind, but what's the physical side of it that it can manifest? Like I've read before, like if you notice your, your dick is kind of curved that you should mm -hmm. be seeing somebody about this. Yeah, so I um, I would say a couple of things that, you know, if you look at data on erectile dysfunction, only about 15% of men, and this is this is ED across all age groups, only about 15% of men have a solely psychological problem, right? Um, okay. meaning, meaning that it's like primarily driven by anxiety or some other psychological issue. Um, that's a small percentage of men. Um, and that means 85% of guys have some combination of a physical and a psychological issue. And, th and that's one of the things that I try to tell all of my patients that come in, especially younger guys who may have been dismissed or written off by other providers um, and told, oh, this must all be in your head, is that you know only a small percentage of men actually fall into that category. And what I'm going to do is spend some time trying to figure out what physical issues might be contributing to your problem. Um, and until we can definitively rule those out, then I can't say for certainty that your problem is completely psychological. Um, so the two primary physical issues that, that come up with regard to erections are um, hormonal issues and mm -hmm. blood flow, blood flow issues, right? So um, men can, for a variety of reasons, can have hormonal problems, um, whether that be low testosterone or um, um, elevated prolactin or, you know, there's a variety of things that can happen hormonally that can have negative impacts on their erectile function. Um, and as we get older, um, it's a natural part process or not, excuse me, a natural part of getting older is that our, our testosterone starts to decline. So, um, that's one of the things that we evaluate and can help fix that can often have a positive impact on erections. And then the second component is the, is this blood flow issue, which is, you know, <clears throat> not, as commonly seen in young people, but can certainly happen. 
And what people don't appreciate is that when we refer to normal erection blood flow, we're talking about inflow of blood and also the ability to trap the blood in their penis because both of those things need to happen for someone to have a normal erection. Yes, the way uh, somebody was explaining it to me over time, kind of a buildup or plaque, if you will, can build up, which doesn't allow free flowing blood, which causes the erection to occur. Is that? Yeah. So that's the inflow problem. And that's exactly what happens all over our body, right? So when someone has a heart attack or chest pain uh, related to a plaque in their coronary arteries, the exact same thing can happen in in the arteries that supply your penis with blood. So what's great is coming to see someone like yourself is you can help ch- check off check off the boxes on what it is and what it isn't and develop a plan on on helping somebody, which is really good. Um, but let's talk a little bit about our dicks and keeping them healthy with uh, erections. Obviously, diet is part of having good erections. Um, Can you talk about diet for that? And then also supplements and treatments? Because I know you have some different treatments that you have for harder, stronger erections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned earlier, the the diet that has had the most evidence suggesting it helps with um, male sexual health is the Mediterranean diet. so that's typically what we recommend when patients are asking about specific um, uh, dietary recommendations. So it's like, you know, um, uh, high in like whole grains, fruits, vegetables, seafood, um, and healthy fats like uh, nuts. Um, so that's been shown to help with male sexual health. That's that's really the only like specific diet I can point to. When patients ask me for diet recommendations, I usually just tell them, you know, as with everything else in in your life, like you want to do things in moderation and whatever your doctor has told you um, is good for your heart is going to be good for your penis, right? Again, going back to this sort of example of cardiovascular health, right? If, if your heart is healthy, then your dick is going to be healthy. So whatever suggestions you've had from your primary doctor to, you know, lower your cholesterol or um, prevent plaques from forming, those are all going to be helpful for maintaining the health of your penis. Yeah, it's all a cycle. They all kind of work in tandem and work together. And the you're right, the importance of such a healthy diet for just life in general, but the nitty gritty when it gets down to our organs like that, even more mm-hmm. important. I was watching one of your TikTok videos and you mentioned exercise and I was happy to hear things like dark chocolate and oysters, two of my favorites mm-hmm. <laughs> were on the <laughs> list and I'm going to keep up with those. But yeah, yeah, you just feel better too when you exercise. Um, for, for things like testosterone you talked about, that's something uh-huh. that every people can get a test, correct? And determine if yes. what your levels are. Yeah. Yeah. So there are different types of tests. Um, In general, we recommend a blood test that be done either in your doctor's office or at a lab. And it's generally best to check your testosterone in the morning because that's when it's its highest. So if you, you know, if you wait till you're kind of sluggish in the afternoon and check it like mid afternoon, it's probably, it's going to in, in all men be lower than it would be in the morning. So we want to check what like someone's peak testosterone level is to determine if that is deficient. 
Okay. And I started taking a supplement daily that I mm-hmm. find is working about blood flow, nitric oxide. Do you believe in that supplement? Anything you can say about that? Because I feel like it's helped not only with um, even my orgasms, or it seems uh-huh. even better with it. Yeah. I mean, nitric oxide is um, the substance that allows the blood vessels to dilate that, that then bring blood into your penis. Um, I'm not aware of any like specific supplements um like nitric oxide supplements that one can take in terms of the evidence showing improvements in in erections but what i can tell you is that nitric oxide is a naturally occurring substance in our body that is responsible for dilation of blood vessels so it you know it it at least intuitively makes sense that adding more nitric oxide to your system could potentially improve blood flow i just don't know um about specific studies looking at individual supplements um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a absolute necessity in terms of dilating the blood vessels to get blood into your penis. Got it. And then in your office, you do mm-hmm. all kinds of treatments. One of them, uh, can you talk about Viasure? Am I saying that right too? Yeah. Viasure. Yeah. 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 So we do, um, Viasure is a, especially like a brand of a low intensity shockwave therapy. Um, so it's a device that delivers shockwave energy um, into tissue, and that energy then promotes neovascularization, which is like new blood flow, um, as well as um, uh, encourages the proliferation um, of smooth muscle cells. And so both of those components, the smooth muscle and the blood vessels, are really important for um, erectile health. And so we use it to essentially either enhance someone's blood flow to their penis or in guys who have um, blood flow that may be abnormal to improve their blood flow um, through this kind of non-invasive therapy. Got it. Got it. And then mm-hmm. there's a couple other treatments that I was reading about that I wanted to know about related mm-hmm. to our balls. Um, was it the actual um, cosmetic cosmetic side of our ball sack or what mm-hmm. are those these procedures? Um, which one do you asking about? Um, I think it or was. Or just like, what, what do we do to balls? Y- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe that. <laughs> so, I mean, I, there, yeah. In terms of like cosmetic procedures that can be done to the scrotum or testicles, um, I really only have, um, uh, done Botox, uh, for patients. And, and some of your listeners may have heard of it referred to as like scrotox. Um, and it was right. traditionally like marketed as kind of a cosmetic thing. And I've, but to be honest, a lot of the men that I've treated with Botox, it ends up becoming kind of a functional issue. So a lot of guys who go on testosterone replacement therapy and are on it for a long time, they get what's called testicular atrophy. And so their testicles shrink because most of the volume of our testicle is related to the cells that make testosterone. And when you're on exogenous testosterone replacement, your body doesn't need to produce it anymore. And so right, those, right. those cells go away and your balls shrink. Um, and when that happens, the skin around them kind of shrinks. And then you, right. get, you get your balls kind of riding higher, closer towards your body, um, which you know, from a day-to-day perspective, isn't isn't a big deal. But oftentimes when these men become aroused and their testicles go even closer to their body, which is something that happens to everybody when you're kind of sexually excited, 
um, it can actually cause pain because they start to kind of like go up almost inside. Like if they, Ooh, it, yeah. and so it can be really uncomfortable for guys. So most of the men that we've treated with, you know, scrotal Botox, it's, we're injecting not only the skin, but actually like the cord where your, your balls kind of exit the body and, 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 and live in your, in your scrotum. Um, there's muscles in that, in that cord. And so we will sometimes inject that area to paralyze those muscles so that they can get some relief from that discomfort. So their balls kind of hang lower. Um, and so, you know, a lot of these guys are, are happy with the cosmetic outcome because it makes their package just sort of look fuller. Um, and their balls hang lower, but it also um, has been really helpful in alleviating this kind of discomfort that they can experience. Got it. Got it. Great advice on that. Um, okay. Well, yeah. I definitely want to talk about semen health and you are, have a product pop star. Yeah. Um, before, I want to talk about that, but also, you know, I noticed even myself um, over time when I used to ejaculate, it would be like tons of semen mm -hmm. coming out of me and not as much, um, you know, later, although if I hold it for a few days, then there's certainly more. Is mm -hmm. there something, can you talk about that and, and why sometimes we don't have as much or how it changes? Yeah. So, um, a couple of things, hydration is probably the most important aspect in terms of how much volume you're coming. Right. Um, oh, and so, okay. Um, that's a really important factor that a lot of guys miss out on. Um, most people walk around chronically dehydrated. Um, and so increasing how much you're drinking um, per day can sometimes help with the volume. Abstinence, so like the longer, as you mentioned, lo the longer you kind of wait, the more volume you'll have, um, which just kind of makes sense, right? If you have a finite right. amount of fluid, if you're coming every day or multiple times a day, you're, you're just, your body's not going to be able to keep up. Whereas if you go a few days without ejaculating, then, then the fluid has kind of had a chance to build up. And then when you come, it's, it's, um, a larger amount. Um, but, but also getting older, we know that a natural part of getting older is that men will experience a decline in their ejaculatory volume and sometimes even their ejaculatory force. Um, and so when my partner and I started Popstar, it was really born out of this kind of medical need that that we were seeing in our patients um where we had men coming in complaining of of this problem right like this decreased ejaculatory volume and asking if there was anything that they could do and you know there's there's um some hormonal medications that have been tried or, or have been used um mostly in men who have low volume ejaculate who are trying to get pregnant uh, or get, get their partner pregnant, right? We have we have hormonal medications that have been used to help with that. But a lot of guys were like, well, I don't really want to go on a medication. Is there a supplement right. I can take? And, um, and there really wasn't. There really wasn't one that had been like sort of doctor formulated and, and, and that was based on available, you know, research data. And so um, Brian, my partner and I just, you know, started it started as a conversation. I was like, Hey, are you seeing this? You know, and we have very different patient populations. He's more of a, he's a men's health specialist, but, but, uh, sees a lot. His, his patients tend to be a little bit older. So he was seeing it in his older patients. And I, you know, I'm like a younger gay guy in LA and a lot of my patients are gay. So I was seeing it actually the same complaints in, you know, gay guys who were just complaining about like, Hey, what's going on? This is a really part, important part of like sexual pleasure for me. Is there anything I can do? And so, um, you know, we just did our research and used a lot of data that had come out of the fertility world um, on on um, ingredients that had been shown to increase volume and overall um, kind of 
improve semen health. And so we put um, all of those together to um, create a sort of like total ejaculate health supplement. Um, and we called it Popstar because we thought that was a funny name. Um, yeah, it's a great and, name. And, thanks. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it kind of addresses three different aspects of uh, ejaculate health. So, you know, we wanted something that was going to improve volume. We wanted something that would sort of um, enhance sperm health, even though, you know, in some of our patients, that's not a priority. Um, we, w- we wanted to include ingredients that would, would be beneficial to sperm. And then we thought it would be really interesting if we could change the taste. And so we added some ingredients that have been shown to improve, um, improve flavor. And so um, why not, you know, take something that's going to not only make you shoot bigger loads, but also, you know, it um, tastes better. Nice. And I'm assuming like just better tasting, not like bubblegum flavored or. Right, right. We haven't got, we haven't gotten the science down to where we can, uh, we can make the flavor exactly what we want, but it's, it's essentially sweetening the flavor. Nice. This is really breakthrough. I, but the simple thing I love of just, we're all walking around dehydrated, drink more um, water is Mm -hmm. a great one, but I love that. Where can people get that um, at the website? Yeah, so we're just uh, e-commerce right now. So it's just popstarlabs.com. Um, and the, the website's just, you know, we've, we've spent a long time putting it together and it, we're constantly adding to it. it. Obviously, the product is on there, but you can learn about why we chose the ingredients we chose. We have blogs about ejaculate health and, you know, everything men's sexual health. Um, so there's just really a lot of information that I think people would find useful um, on the website. Um, and you know, we're looking to continue to grow and, um, you know, encourage your listeners to, to keep an eye out for us. Cause I think we, we're seeing big things in the future for Popstar. I love it. Well, I'm definitely going to try Popstar for sure and yeah. talk about it. Um, it looks like you may have partnered up with an underwear line or it's your own <laughs> sax underwear, S-A-X-X underwear. Yeah. What can you tell us about that? And it looks like the whole point of it is the way it cups your ball sack. And is yeah. that important for our men's sex health? Yeah. So it's definitely not my own line. Sax is okay. a, uh, is a, you were uh, rocking them in one of the videos though, and you look really good. So I just have oh, to shout that out. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So, yeah, I mean, I never would have imagined when I started this social media journey that I would be an underwear model. Um, <laughs> hey, but, why not? <laughs> but I, um, I did, you know, when they first approached me, um, it was under, um, the auspices of wanting to raise awareness on, um, on vasectomies, right? So they they built this campaign um, involving a vasectomy registry um, because, and this is something that I didn't actually know that they pointed out, apparently there's an increase in um, vasectomy procedures during March Madness. Um, Oh, right. The thought being that men can get this procedure done and they'll have a few days to recover. And while they're you know, recovering, they can watch basketball. I guess that's the idea, right? So they wanted to kind of raise awareness about this thing that a lot of people didn't didn't realize and dispel some of the myths about vasectomy and wanted to use, um, to sort of promote their product as a good um, way for for men to recover post-vasectomy because they have this ball pouch. It adds more support to the, t- the testicles where this procedure takes place and, and, you know, could ideally prevent um, complications like swelling and bruising and, you know, um, uh, help hasten their recovery essentially. 
So um, they approached me with this idea. I thought it was really cool um, because it was, again, a way to sort of raise awareness about a men's health topic that not a lot of guys talk about and, you know, have a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation about the procedure itself. So I thought it was a cool way. And then um, I said, well, if we're going to do an underwear promotional campaign, why not like (laughs) remake Risky Business while we do it? So (laughs) that was the idea there. I love it. Um, people can go to saxunderwear.com and make them follow you on Instagram at Joshua Gonzalez MD or TikTok as well, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm on both. And um, what's your website so that people can look you up um, in general? It's pretty easy. It's the same thing. It's just joshuagonzalezmd.com. Well, Joshua, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, I want to thank you so much for all the pertinent information and uh, thanks so much for doing the show. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us. That was such a great conversation. I hope you learned as much as I did. We'll have Dr. Gonzalez back on the show. We talked about having him on Tags Live so you guys can see him. He's really handsome and lots more information, I'm sure, to give us. So stay tuned for that. Once again, we are live this Wednesday for Tags Live on the Get Focal platform. You can find out information by going to tagspodcast.com and click on Tags Live. And in the meantime, continue having hot gay sex. <laughs> <laughs>